welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spirits Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Akshat Agarwal, a recent graduate of the Jindal Global Law School and law clerk to Justice Pratiba M. Singh of the Delhi High Court. We will discuss Indian copyright law, specifically in relation to copyrightable subject matters. So welcome to the show, Akshat. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's really my pleasure, um, and I'm delighted to learn from you about Indian copyright law, about which I know, sadly, very little, I- I'm afraid. Um, so, so I was wondering, as a way of kind of starting off the show and helping listeners who, like me, have very little understanding of how copyright law works in India, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the kind of basis for and sources of Indian copyright law? Like, is it statutory primarily or common law? Where did it come from? And uh, to the extent that you're you know, familiar with the history of the development of Indian common law, sort of if you could reflect a little bit on that. Sure. So um, the Indian copyright law uh, is a statutory law. And uh, it, although a few, of the trademark, a few of the trademark provisions take, take some guidance from common law, however, the Indian copyright law is primarily statutory in its and its literary mechanism, and uh, most of it have derived from principles which were imposed upon the Indian sphere during the colonial regime. So, if you if you actually analyze the law, particularly right now, you would see imprints of the uh, British law uh, and the the legal interpretations which have been taking place uh, in the UK, and that's one of the biggest influences actually when it comes to the. Indian scheme. Although uh, the Indian copyright law, it it showcases that it's Anglo-Saxon in its uh, tradition. They follow the consequentialist utilitarian dialogue. But then again, yeah, you can see imprints of the colonial rule in the statutory provisions as well as the way uh, these laws are interpreted by the courts. So basically, the basic principles of of something like an origin, something like originality, originality in India is is derived from the Canadian standard of skill and judgment. The the landmark case in Eastern Book Company versus D.B. Modak in India that talks about originality and it takes the skill and judgment standard which was emphasized in the Canadian case of CCH Canadian. So that's how. And then we have similar provisions as the UK law for authorship. There's an individual composer who is given an authorship for musical works and there are different, different provisions. Then assignment of copyright is particularly allowed in India without any uh, any uh, impediment to that and partial and full assignment is allowed uh, and there are similar rights so there are there's a derivative right there's a communication to public right as a copyright and interestingly we also have a royalty regime in which the authors can claim a right to royalty although contractually uh, when they assign a work to an owner so Primarily, the Indian copyright regime follows a lot of the international principles, also harmonized by the burn because India is a signatory of the burn. So, yeah, it's fairly, fairly the normative copyright conception which has been going on in India as well. Well, so is is copyright litigation in India common? And to the extent works are litigated, are, are there particular kinds of works that are more common to be litigated than others? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's a lot of litigation in India on copyright law, mostly, uh, mostly upon the film industry because India has a, one of the largest film industries in the world, the Bollywood industry. It has a lot of, lot of 
uh, copyright infringement cases which actually go around and there have been very few very re- very recent cases as well which have come up like there was this one uh, very recent case called Vinay Vats uh, versus uh, Vinay Vats basically and that case spoke about copyrightability of a plot right so like these these sort of instances come up in bollywood a lot and then there are a lot of cases involving musicians in india wherein they claim rights against record labels and see the collective management companies coming collective management organizations coming and claiming uh, for rights against the record companies so these kind of cases dominate the litigation sphere in india there are there have also been some interesting landmark cases around fair use there was this one uh, case it was it's called the du photocopy case wherein the peculiar right to education in india was recognized within copyright law giving certain uh, extra fair use protections to works which were actually used for the purpose of education so to some extent uh, the indian courts while litigating copyright have tried to realize the imperative need of knowledge uh, but yeah these are the major mostly it's the media and the entertainment industry which litigates around copyright well maybe you could describe a couple of these recent landmark cases in more detail because i know you've written some about this i'm like you know what are the nature of the copyright infringement claims that are being made in these bollywood cases in other words what are the plaintiffs claiming that the defendants are improperly copying and sort of how has the court been resolving or conceptualizing those copyright claims in relation to the sort of originality concerns you have about um about copyrightable subject matter right so uh, recently there was this case called as i just mentioned vinay vats versus foxstar studios it it basically dealt with this one uh, one web series called uh, single dawn so that the web series uh, revolved around the idea of uh, of a, of it revolved around the backdrop of riots and whereon there was a particular conce- a conceptual claim which was being made and the, the the litigation surrounded around that conceptual claim and the the similarities in the plots which were involved out there were not that much however the 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 main argument which was brought in by the councils over there was that even if the plot isn't particularly similar per se however the the life and blood of the film of the of the web series being very similar to that of the infringing web allegedly infringing web series was one of the biggest claims which was made in this case however the court realized that uh, the life and blood claim was in fact exaggerated in another recent case which took place which involved revolved around loot case so there were two cases one by the delhi high court one by the bombay high court the bombay high court took a uh, narrow view when they held that when they held that uh singardan the 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 singardan case the movie was actually infringing because the life and blood of the uh, plot was copied however in the in the delhi high court case the delhi high court realized that no that life and blood is actually a very broad thought uh, to actually copy and it needs to have a more limited sort of an idea so that so that it does not stifle creation right so there there are conflicting jurist juris, there's a conflicting jurisprudence which is also doing the rounds in india because it's there's not much clarity they try to actually extrapolate principles which have been developed abroad like principles like the idea expression dichotomy however 
in a in a detailed manner it's really tough to figure out as to what exactly are the factors which the courts take into account so there's a supreme court judgment called rg anand versus dilux films which talks about idea expression dichotomy and the the threshold of infringement that needs to be established but then it, it actually leaves it very vague it takes the abstraction test uh, from the nichols versus universal the uk case however it does not it does not actually define the threshold limits which which have led courts to go and take diverse diverse opinions around it and actually divert from their own idea so bombay high court has a particular jurisprudence delhi high court has a particular jurisprudence which actually do not coincide a lot of times so that way the litigation has been very dispersed because of the abstractness i guess in developing principles which is sort of interesting because then it's it's actually narrow somewhere it's broad somewhere so it's it's very interesting that way so it sounds like there's a lot of internal disagreement among indian courts about how to think about some of these really foundational questions in copyright law around what copyright protects and i i was particularly interested in your discussion of this kind of life and blood concept i wonder if you could you know as someone who's studying Indian copyright law in detail. Talk a little bit about kind of your sense of how different courts in India are conceptualizing what that means and what you would look to in order to ask whether the life and blood, as it were, of a work is being infringed. In other words, you know, to the extent that there's any sort of perspectives that different courts are giving on what they're trying to accomplish do you have a sense of sort of what factors they're looking at or what they think the purpose of that doctrine is under indian law yeah so uh, i think i think the, the, the reason for these disagreements or these narrow confusions which have come into place is is a supreme court decision which is fairly open ended so it sort of leaves an option for different courts to interpret that open endedness in different ways right so the life and blood concept it basically revolves around the idea of figuring out the abstract like filtering the abstract idea out of the uh, the the plot and then protecting everything apart from that right so mostly intuitionally the courts have actually followed the lay observer test quite a lot and within that perspective they have gone and uh, thought about the life and blood of a plot for example if i have a movie if i were if i have a web series in fact so rather than actually focusing on the sequence of events which take place sequentially they would rather focus on the events individually right so if there are five events which have taken place in plot in in web series a and those similar five events have taken place in a plot b but then the sequences are different that doesn't really matter because because the whole the whole idea and the life and blood in fact is the same so the the value which is given to sequences i think is is very little by some courts there are some courts actually go on to figure out whether sequentially the events have which have transpired in those two works which are being compared are similar or not so that way i think few courts have have focused more upon the content and few courts have focused more upon the content plus sequence which sort of makes a difference because 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 in fact what i think that even the american jurisprudence there's a there's a clear clear there's this the case of selzer versus sunbrook which clearly establishes the story includes the sequences of uh, of events which are taking place but then that does not actually form a part of the idea of a story in within within the interpretations of many courts in india because 
they actually undervalue the importance of sequences as long as those events which have taken place do like vaguely do happen uh, in the infringing work as well so i think that's what more than more than actually focusing upon the exact uh, exact content of the tv show they are focusing on what a person would get out of it and uh, see if that's been copied or not so like for example in the single dawn case what had happened i'll just explain it to you it was it was that there were there were there were hindu muslim riots going on these are two religions in india by the way so there were two there there's hindu muslim riots going on and at the backdrop there's this one guy who goes uh, goes to a prostitution house wherein there's this particular of uh, uh, there's this particular woman who who has a particular cupboard right so that cupboard is very uh, is is something which is where she puts all her belongings so there's one guy who's who uh, who does not tell his wife and go to the particular prostitution house and sort of meets this woman and there there on what happens that this woman dies during the riots and he he's asked by that woman who is in love with him to take the belong take the singer down that is the box of her belongings with him so that stays with him as a memory and he keeps it at her at his house and he can see those traits which that the prostitute had in in his family members so that's the love angle around it and the other which was the allegedly infringing plot it it was kind of different because therein the the guy had gone and robbed the prostitution house and that's how he got that particular box of the belongings of the prostitute so then the courts yet in spite of there being a difference in perspectives held these to be infringing because the idea of there being a prostitution box the idea of there being a guy taking it from a woman uh the idea of there being hindu muslim riots these were what were given prominence rather than the difference in perspective so i think in india the courts do not really evaluate it perspect in, in in the in the idea of a perspective as to what is the uh what is the actual expression which is coming out of plot a as against plot b but rather they see the events and they see if the events are similar then yeah the sequence doesn't matter so that's that's something which is which sort of stifles creativity in my opinion to some extent yeah i mean it's it, from your description it sounds like the courts are kind of saying does this second work use the sort of most distinctive elements of the previously existing work and it sounds like that's at least part of what's driving the 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 flesh and blood decision as it were um to the extent that's the case i mean do you think that's a problem not just kind of abstractly in relation to creativity writ large but also in relation to sort of modes of production that are common within the indian film industry and other cultural industries in india i mean my familiarity with bollywood films is you know limited but i've seen quite a few and and i feel like there's a lot of kind of often a lot of formalistic elements like kind of things you expect to see in movies as a matter of course you know to what extent do you think that this kind of way of thinking about similarity and infringement could be a problem in an industry that seems to rely on a fair amount of copying reproduction and familiarity for viewers in fact that's that's exactly what i was talking to you about that that the indian culture in the in the first place is is one which is based a lot on derivations right because because a lot of these ideas they they come from they come from the the 
the filmmakers actually experiencing what has what has happened in the previous films which they have watched right so so actually this whole rigidity around originality in the indian copyright industry is sort of appalling because because sort of in the indian entertainment industry sort of appalling because uh, a lot of ideas which these filmmakers might want to uh, convey are being restricted because it's already been showcased in a particular way in some in some previous film which they're not able to reproduce without getting a license and licensing as a procedure and monetarily it's it's a tough thing to do in india particularly because of the dominance of certain production houses and stuff like that so it's it's it it does stifle creativity practically as well in the sense that you you're restricted in making your choices as to what to showcase and what not to in fact that's that's fairly visible in the music industry as well uh because because you because you're actually thinking that the whole idea of creation even in indian music is very is very derivative you the the indian class the influence of indian classical music on indian bollywood filmmaking music is also is also a lot which is very improvisational in nature and therein also the way the basic pedagogy around music training is also mimicking so you do see imprints of of a teacher who is teaching you indian classical music in the in the in the musical composition of the student which is sort of hampered by stringent copyright laws and 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 it, it it creates a problem because then that way it's very tough for you to express what you want to express even though it's your individual perspective without actually infringing on someone else's work so it's it it does stifle creativity yeah well you suggested earlier that Indian copyright law seems to have incorporated some of the consequentialist or sort of economic premises of um of the copyright law of the United Kingdom and other uh former commonwealth countries um to what extent do you think that framing has any effect on the sort of development of doctrine in Indian copyright law and specifically the the flesh and blood doctrine that we've been been talking about uh and are there other strands that you see uh informing the way that courts are thinking about the kind of concept of copyright and copyright policy more broadly oh definitely oh definitely so i think i think the whole intuitional idea around entitlements is very very much in the idea of indian courts because because then that's that's what that what that's what have been has been actually historically been practiced in india right because the anglo-saxon utilitarian consequentialist idea that has actually been advocated a lot by the copyright industries that is the entertainment houses which are actually oligopolistic in nature in india as well right so this they actually play on the intuitional idea that uh, that authors actually do need rights right and they play on it and then get them assigned to, to themselves right so this has been a long standing practice in india and even for the life the life and blood doctrine which is a very very over protectionist standard uh, it has been influenced by uk cases coming to indian jurisprudence but then this whole idea of entitlements this has come through lobbying this is in my opinion it has completely come through lobbying by strong corporate industries which hold which hold olig- an oligopolistic place in the indian market and they they sort of intuitionally psychologically coerce this idea amongst artists and authors that you need rights for what you're creating and then there's this intuitional idea even i have been doing music for a long time and 
I think until last year, even I had this thought that if I'm making something, I ought to get a return for it. But then once you actually start thinking about it, what I felt was, am I actually even creating some something in the sense of creation? Because because actually everything what I'm creating comes from something, right? So it's it's all derived. And then if I don't give it back and claim too many exclusivities around it, am I am I actually fulfilling my desire of getting my work accessible to as many people as possible? So I think that's the intuitional idea of rights which corporate houses and entertainment companies sort of play on. They lobby around it, and uh, that that's what that's what I actually led to the development of a lot of doctrines and a lot of ways in which courts interpret uh, these strong copyright mechanisms. And and one more very interesting idea is that this this whole idea of a G of GDP growth, which is actually emphasized upon by these record labels and these entertainment companies to foster their idea of stronger copyrights they sort of foster this idea that you getting stronger copyrights would lead to more will to be will lead to a growth of the gdp of the country and stuff like that which which undervalues to some extent the value of creativity and not just more expression but also like more and diverse expression because if you're a commercial entity which is actually creating for the purpose of the market uh, you're focused on more more expression which generates profit and not diverse expression which is sort of been one of the big reasons as to why uh, many indigenous features of the indian cultural industry uh, have actually disappeared to some extent from being practiced because what generates profit might not actually be what what is actually indigenously practiced in fact it could be some it could be stuff which is easy to listen to easy to watch uh undermining sort of the cultural diversity which exists within india and to be honest it's a it's a very diverse country there are many different kinds of cultural traditions which actually exist in india but me being someone from delhi i'm barely uh, barely exposed to diverse cultures around the my my own country so that i think that's again because of a particular idea of content being sort of coerced uh, upon me and that's something which is kind of problematic as well and people actually don't realize the difference the, the this this whole narrative which is sort of uh, coerced upon us and psychologically played upon us by media houses which all play for just profits so it's very interesting to think about it because even litigation wise what the judges have interpreted in india and the indian corporate let's have it has been very pro copyright very very pro strong copyrights uh which is sort of a result of lobbying in the sense in my opinion it's it's always something which the corporates have played on psychologically in our heads that we deserve rights we deserve rights and they have used that dialogue to sort of foster stronger a stronger and a stronger regime around copyright for themselves so i know that you have thoughts about this issue in a kind of a broader context of colonialism and anti-colonialism as well. I wonder if you could talk about the sort of what you described earlier as specifically the kind of colonial roots of the current Indian copyright regime and how the kinds of normative arguments uh, in favor of copyright uh, protection that you were just talking about might play out in relation to and potentially conflict with anti-colonialist uh, anti-colonialist values. Yeah, so this is actually very interesting. Uh, I'll, uh, 
I'll talk about two distinct concepts in India, uh, in the copyright law in India. It's originality and authorship. So when it comes to authorship, I'll specifically talk about Indian classical music and its influence on music because that's the background I come from. So Indian classical music in its nature is is very improvisational. And the the compose the composition, the, the technique of composition revolves around the composer figuring out a chord and a lot of musicians playing around with that chord and figuring out small semi-notes within that particular chord and improvising upon it. So if you listen to an Indian classical song, you'll realize there are a lot of improvisations which go into it. And the whole idea of an individualistic composer over there, it sort of coerces a Western uh, romantic idea of an individual creator. I think the works of Martha Woodmanis and Peter Jazzy are very, very relevant for the Indian copyright regime because, because creations are not created individually in India. It's, it's all a very collaborative creation. But the Copyright Act, in fact, credits a single creator. And this is actually psychologically played because singers and uh, musicians are okay with this. They are okay with the idea that there's a composer who's composing and you're just singing for them. Which actually sort of questions the author-performer divide in India as well. Like, the work of a performer in India is sort of equivalent to an author because you are improvising along certain bases which is given by the author and then you are actually creating a song around it. So your contribution is, is authorial when it comes to what constitutes to be authorial in copyright. However, it's intuitionally set in your heads that no, you're not an author. The author is the one who has composed the base which you are improvising upon. So it sort of uh, the whole dialogue around around authorship in India focused on the individual creator sort of undermines collaborative creation, which is the part of traditional Indian culture and which coerces this whole Western idea of in, an individual creator. And we can see some colonial reasons behind it because the Colonial Copyright Act, which was there prior to independence, also had an individual creator as the uh, as the author. So these are certain influence like this, even in the case of originality, the focus on the, the romanticism around originality is very evident in India, in the Indian copyright law. However, if you actually evaluate how Indian classical music is taught, it's completely taught on the basis of mimicking. Like my like my teacher, whether my guru uh, would sing something and I would sing it back to him to be able to learn what he's singing. So, and that's how whenever I compose something, I'll, you can you know, actually easily identify imprints of what I was taught because those are the note combinations which I learned. So this, this whole idea of originality and the romanticism associated with it, it is very, it is very un-Indian, un-Indian in the sense of how Indian music actually is created and how Indian music actually inherently traditionally is practiced, which sort of brings us to this whole hierarchy also around traditional cultural expressions and copyright and like copyrightable expressions because this whole hierarchy is sort of created according to my opinion i think indian copyright law is there to regulate indian culture to allow for more cultural expressions which represent the indigenous culture to be out there however i think this whole hierarchical setup wherein traditional cultural expressions are separate from uh, copyrightable expressions it sort of creates this whole idea that the indigenous Indian cultural expressions do not matter enough. And what you actually want to foster in the sense of more creativity is the common Western notion of individualized industrial creation.
so i think that 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 is that is a colonial imprint on the indian corporate which actually is a project i am working on right now it's a long term project so i'm thinking i'm writing on uh, this post colonial writing a post colonial critique of the concepts of originality and authorship in the indian copyright act uh, which again focus on my experiences as an indian classical musician and how i learned how to compose how i learned my music and how it's very different from what the act represents which actually has a had a huge influence on the music industry in india because the creations which you'll see right now are not influenced much by the indian cultural uh, regime rather they are more influenced by the western western music forms of music so it's sort of you're sort of losing out on your own culture because of the laws it's the laws or it's the it's the it's the structure of the copyright act which is superimposing upon your culture it's almost sort of a culture sort of a dialogue around cultural imperialism where a certain western uh, thought or a or a conception around how creation should be how creation is actually done is being imposed upon your culture i think there have been works which have been similar academic works in this field by uh, in the context of african music and hip hop where the, the normativeness of sampling has been sort of emphasized upon and as to how sampling was was a established practice in a year and an age old practice in music making and how that was undermined by this idea of originality it's a it's a similar conception out here as well because in indian classical music also mimicking is a very is a very common practice and that is sort of being undermined by imposing these western ideas and, and the romanticism associated with originality which sort of is problematic because your own culture is dying because of that and copyright is in fact in my opinion supposed to enrich your own culture and and allow for more of your cultural expressions to come out in the public domain and for more people to actually experience around its consequentialist idea of more expressions existing so that's why when uh, what i have sort of proposed in one of my articles is that the idea of copyright in its consequentialist sense is not merely more expressions but more in diverse expressions so that multiple multiple ideas of culture are are actually equitably represented rather than a particular idea of culture being coerced upon you know and being focused upon yeah so akshat in closing i wonder if you could just expand on that kind of anti-colonialist perspective on copyright you've been discussing specifically in relation to indian copyright doctrine so like what i'm wondering is are there particular things that you think indian courts ought to keep in mind when thinking about the development of a, a specifically indian copyright law and to what extent would those kind of underlying anti-colonialist values that you're suggesting ought to influence uh Indian copyright law be consistent with a kind of broader jurisprudential pro- uh project of the Indian courts as a whole. Oh, ex- oh yeah. So, uh what I think over here is that what is really important for Indian courts to keep in mind is the is a sort of an interdisciplinary study around how art is actually or art or any kind of content is actually created in India. they should actually keep in mind as to what goes on what what is actually implicit in the culture the techniques of the culture and the techniques of creation involved before uh, interpreting certain laws around it and i think more than the courts it's upon the legislature it's upon the statutory conceptions to develop statute a statute which is which recognizes indian culture which regulates indian culture for indian culture and not 
and does not just copy paste some western idea of of originality of authorship of fixation uh such ideas are not existent in indian culture these are not like individualistic authorship over over emphasized originality the idea of written description and fixation in music these are not in these are not indian ideas these are very un indian ideas because even fixation india is a very hearsay it's a very hearsay uh, creation creation uh, hearsay based creation environment you actually listen you mimic and that's how you create so i think i think the courts need to be the courts as well as the legislature need to be mindful of the cultural practices of india the not not just the cultural practices even the knowledge divide the knowledge state of india while sort of imposing stronger copyright regimes and uh, stronger these these normative conceptions need to be curated specific to the indian culture rather than merely like not that's when interdisciplinary approach is very important wherein the 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 statute the statute makers as well as the judges in indian courts they they sort of realize as to how music or art is actually created in india and then go on to interpret the law accordingly so that the culture is not undermined like you are regulating the culture in a way that does not undermine as to how the culture is actually practiced in india so i think that's very important to ensure that the the idea of copyright in india is for india and not a colonial idea which is just imposing and uh, sort of changing the whole narrative of culture which is existent in india well akshat thank you so much for coming on the program it was really fun and informative to learn about indian copyright law from you and i very much look forward to your future projects in this area because you've got some really fascinating ideas that i think sound like they could be uh really beneficial thank you so much sir for having me it's, a, it's been a pleasure thank you so much Thank you.